0: Right at home.
1: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
0: Welcome to the World in 10, making an impact on your life, even if you're at the bottom of a Canadian lake. I'm Toby Gillis.
1: And I'm Rebecca Myers. And if you're wondering what Toby's on about, stick with us. We will also bring you the Times of London's take on a complicated NATO summit for Ukraine and ask why are elite sporting mothers still so unusual?
0: You'll have heard of the Bronze Age, the Iron Age, the Ice Age and so on. But are we now 70-odd years into the human age?
1: Well, Toby and I were intrigued. And
0: frankly baffled. Yes,
1: that too, by this (laughs) story. Written by environment editor Adam Vaughan. It's complicated, but it's important, and it's an absolutely fascinating piece.
0: So, essentially, it surrounds a lake in Canada, which has been selected as providing the best evidence of any spot on Earth of a new epoch called the Anthropocene.
1: Adam told us we can effectively call that the human age. It's the point from which there's physical evidence within the actual properties of the Earth that we as a species have had an impact on it, like the dinosaurs or any of the other previous ages we've mentioned.
0: Yeah, and the makeup of Crawford Lake in Ontario has documented it all like a supercomputer of history. Think of it as like an Earth archive, if you will. Humans have now become the driving force on the planet in such a way That it will be detectable for millennia to come. So, in terms of the radionuclides that have been released from nuclear weapons testing, to the fly ash from cold power stations, to microplastics, you name it, this was considered to have the best data, basically.
1: So, why is this important? Well, it's worth saying that the Anthropocene is not solely about climate change, but it will mark the moment from which we can document its beginnings. Yeah,
0: and to bring us to the present day, this ties in with an horrific story that The Times is covering, reporting on the first death in Europe, potentially directly linked to the extreme heat that the continent is experiencing.
1: Yes, this is the tragic tale of a 44-year-old man in Italy, a street sign painter who couldn't be saved after collapsing from a day's work in 40-degree heat. That's 104 Fahrenheit.
0: Some politicians in Italy want new laws preventing people from having to work in the extreme heat of the day. But while that's one idea, Adam told us this should actually be a warning to them to act on climate change. Strictly speaking, it is still possible to hit our climate change target. Clearly, actually doing that is a Herculean challenge it would mean roughly halving global emissions by the end of this decade now emissions are still going up so politically and realistically that's going to be very hard but i think it is you know it's important to send the message that it's not too late you know there's no cause for being fatalistic
1: worth adding too that adam's writing on the ontario lake is unmissable and it can be read with your times digital subscription now The West's support of Ukraine has been pretty unwavering so far. But today, it seemed it might be showing some signs of strain.
0: Yeah, as you heard on yesterday's World in 10, the NATO summit in Lithuania is well underway. And Volodymyr Zelensky has been making angry noises about the hold-up in Ukraine joining the alliance.
1: Yes, it's a super complicated situation. The Ukrainian president accused NATO of showing a lack of respect to his country by failing to lay out a timetable for membership. He's previously criticised him for refusing to specify the conditions they have to meet to be invited in
0: yeah but From the alliance's point of view, there are a lot of difficult decisions to make too. The main one being whether Article 5, that's the one which states an attack on one member is an attack on all, has to be adhered to if a nation joins NATO whilst they're already at war.
1: It is a fascinating dynamic, especially when you hear how the NATO members are at odds with one another over this. George Grills, the Times defence correspondent, is in the Lithuanian capital and says there is a clear disconnect between the former Soviet bloc members and their Western allies.
2: The strength of feeling here for Ukraine is just astonishing. I mean, you see Ukrainian flags absolutely everywhere. Volodymyr Zelensky is sort of treated like some rock star. So there's this sort of tension in NATO between Lithuania and these Eastern European countries who really want to deliver a strong message to Russia and sort of really open their arms to Ukraine. And then countries, particularly the US, Germany, who sort of worried more about the possibility of escalation.
0: So tension there, but are quiet briefings with journalists also doing some damage to relations between the West and Ukraine?
1: Yes, you might imagine so if you hear the comments from Ben Wallace, the British Defence Secretary. He made these in an on-the-record chat with journalists.
0: So when you read them, they sound bad. He bemoans being driven 11 hours into Ukraine for a meeting, only to be presented with a list of weapons they required when he got there. The quote, Rebecca, is incredible.
1: Yes, he says his response was to tell them, I'm not Amazon. But in fairness to him, The Times' Berlin correspondent, Oliver Moody, who is in that huddle with Mr Wallace, says that reading the quotes makes them seem worse than they actually were.
2: Ben Wallace himself didn't seem especially irritated by having gone on this long drive and been presented with a wish list of weapons. And there's no suggestion here that Britain's patience with Ukraine is wearing thin. His argument... Was more that with the very contested US presidential election coming up next year, Ukraine needs to do more to reassure Western politicians that it appreciates everything its supporters have done. In fact, by an almost spooky coincidence, Zelensky issued really profuse thanks to Congress and the US public for their help. It was almost as though he'd been sat in the room with us listening to. Ben Wallace. I want to
0: thank the US President Joe Biden particularly. I know it's been a challenge in the United States and I know it's been a challenge in Congress and there are people who don't share this support for cluster munitions.
2: What seems to have happened is a dawning recognition in Kyiv that Ukraine does have to play the diplomatic and public relations games here in order to sustain the momentum of Western support as well as Zelensky addressing and rallying his own people. Mr
0: Zelensky has declared the NATO summit as a success for Ukraine and that conclusion from Oliver Moody suggests he has slightly softened his stance today compared to yesterday.
1: At the time of recording he had yet to speak with Joe Biden personally and the US president was due to make a statement later which ultimately will help us draw our conclusions on whether Zelensky is right or whether there's actually still a lot of work to do for Ukraine to become a NATO member. From Ukrainian tension to Ukrainian sporting success with Alina Svitolina going from wild card to missing a Harry Styles concert because she booked a ticket and thought she'd been knocked out already <laughs> to beating the world number one in the quarterfinals of Wimbledon. And, to top it all off, Svitolina is also making a comeback after giving birth.
0: Yeah, The Times is highlighting this growing trend, especially in tennis. Caroline Wozniacki is due to return after having a child. Serena Williams famously continued her career for years after having a daughter. And former world number one Naomi Osaka is expected to come back after giving birth at 25.
1: It's such an interesting issue because it is still quite unusual and tennis is actually light years ahead of other sports. Johanna Conte, the British former number one, she had children since retiring and she said tennis players were lucky to have these number of players who'd returned so successfully. Finally, Brad Pitt has many strings to his bow, acting, producing, but there are some divided opinions about his winemaking skills. Yeah, in
0: 2011, he and then-wife Angelina Jolie bought a vineyard in Provence called Chateau Miraval, but they're now embroiled in a row over it. Jolie sold her half following their divorce, and her company has now filed legal papers as part of a $350 million lawsuit against Pitt, accusing him of increasingly outrageous actions to keep control of Miraval, and it says acting like a petulant child.
1: Yes, there's some debate whether Pitt actually makes any wine. The court papers say he, and this is quite a quote, deals in illusions, not dirt and grapes, unquote.
0: (laughs) The Times' Hilary Rose has actually investigated this, and vineyard neighbours have told her he really cares and has brought in brilliant experts to help make really good
1: wine. I must say, whoever is making it, are doing a great job. I've tasted it. It's delicious.
0: (laughs) Yeah, OK, so we all know what Rebecca's going to be doing with her (laughs) evening. I'm off instead to sing songs with my toddler daughter.
1: (laughs) Much more wholesome. (laughs) Very different evenings ahead. But one thing remains a constant. You can rely on the world intent for more exclusive Times journalism tomorrow.
0: Indeed you can. And if you want more in the meantime, take out a digital subscription at thetimes.co.uk. Cheers for now.